The views and opinions expressed by hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the views of the Global Liberty Alliance, its network, sponsors, donors, or broadcast platforms. The Global Liberty Alliance provides this podcast for informational purposes. Freedom of speech is a fundamental right and essential for free societies to prosper. Thank you for listening and supporting the mission of the Global Liberty Alliance, dedicated to strengthening and defending fundamental individual rights, free markets, and the rule of law. And welcome. This is Jason Poblet with the Global Liberty Alliance podcast coming to you again from Alexandria, Virginia, right across the river from Occupy. Today, we're going to say the word occupied Washington, D.C., because for some reason that members of Congress still have a barricade around the Capitol and National Guardsmen. Uh, it's uh, quite a quite a quite a sight. We're going to provide you some pictures uh, so you can see these uh, these images that are not making their way into the news. And Today, though, we have a very special guest, and I guess she can, um, she maybe can relate to some of this. Uh, she's out in, in Bulgaria. Her name is uh, Radosveta Vasileva. She's joining us uh, from her native Bulgaria. She's a legal scholar, uh, social advocate. I think she's a canary in the coal mine. I think, uh, Radosveta, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, nice to meet you, and thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. And I say she's canary in the coal mine because I've been reading her blog for many years, and uh, she's been talking about rule of law issues in Bulgaria for quite uh, some time. And as we're going to get into today, uh, we're seeing a lot of this now publicly manifest itself. The people of Bulgaria are demanding change and rule of law. We're going to uh, dive into that a little bit. But before I do that, uh, we love to ask people, uh, especially lawyers, um, uh, a few things about how you came to the law. She has a PhD in law from the University of College of London. She also has an LLM in economic law, an LLM in global business law from the University of Paris at the Sorbonne, and a BA in international relations from Tufts University. Uh, but she also has a commercial background, and interestingly, how she made her transition, in addition to being a blogger, which I think she uses as a platform. But I'd like her to give you the story, because she has a remarkable journey to the law and a remarkable journey to human rights law that I think our listeners, especially those young men and women thinking about careers in law, should, uh, should listen to. So how, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, uh, where you're from, and how did you become a, an international human rights lawyer? Well, um, I was born in Bulgaria, and since I was a child, I had always wanted to become a lawyer because there's this allure, uh, there's this appeal in uh, fighting against injustice. Of course, I developed a more profound interest in the law when I was in college in the U.S. Uh, when I was majoring in IR, I saw how important the law was to, to make a difference, and so I applied to law school. When I was in law school, I envisioned an academic career uh, in the field of law for myself, and so I moved to the U.K., where I started my PhD, I started teaching, uh, and I started actively researching. And as you um, first mentioned, uh, my main focus was uh, EU law, particularly EU commercial law. But then uh, my family all of a sudden became uh, victims of abuse by Bulgaria's government. And all of a sudden, I became their lawyer because I was the first person they could, uh, they could contact. And this is how my initial interest in the field 
uh, in this uh, human rights field started. Of course, I uh, deepened it because I developed an entire research track uh, in the area of uh, the rule of law and, and human rights abuses. So uh, this is how it, uh, how it all began. That's, that's remarkable. So you, you became your, your family's primary advocate, and we're gonna get into that in a minute because that's how I learned about the work you're doing uh, out in Bulgaria. And, and for our listeners who may not be too familiar with some of the history, we're going to provide you some important links, but Bulgaria is a very important U.S. ally in Europe. And I remember I was in my teens. I was a teenager when this was happening at the end of the Cold War uh, back in the early 90s, but early late 80s. The, the U.S. Congress passed a very important law to support. In fact, it was called the Support for Eastern European Democracies Act. And I won't forget it because it was called the Seed Act, like a, like a seed. You know, you plant a plant, a tree, what have you. And it was designed to help our, our friends in Eastern Europe, including Bulgaria, uh, reconstruct after, uh, after communism. And Bulgaria was one of those great stories. It still is. It, it, it moved quickly. Uh, freedom uh, took root there and it grew fast. And in 96, Bulgaria became part of the WTO. They had a bilateral investment treaty with the United States. A few years later, in 2004, I think, or 2005, it became a member of NATO. Then in, they signed a defense cooperation agreement a few years after that. In 2007, you joined the EU. I mean, it just kept going and going and going. And then, I guess a few years ago, uh, maybe eight to 10 years ago, or Rados Vetta will share that with us, uh, you know, they started to have some problems. You know, one of the, one of the articles uh, that you wrote back in, I think it was 2018, uh, that caught my attention is why do EU politicians avoid discussing Bulgaria's rampant corruption and lack of rule of law? And you went through there and you started to um, dissect the different groups and why you thought it was happening, why you thought there were these problems. But before we get to the current state of affairs, let's, let's just stick with that for a minute. What happened, do you think, from the period of, let's say, the time you joined the EU in 2007 to today, what, what's, what broke down that you have people today on the streets demanding change, demanding rule of law, demanding respect for your laws and your processes? Uh, well, as you know, for the most part, Bulgaria has been governed by Mr. Boyko Borisov. Uh, he's currently finishing his uh, third term. And so uh, Bulgaria's entry into the EU almost coincided with his coming into power. So he first appeared on the serious political stage in 2009. This is when he formed his first government. And since he came to power, um, basically he started engaging in deliberate attacks against the rule of law. And this is clearly visible in all indexes. You would see that, uh, for instance, Transparency International consistently ranks Bulgaria as the most corrupt EU member then um, the World Justice Project um, also has ranked Bulgaria as the country with the worst rule of law after Hungary in the EU. Uh, Freedom House uh, downgraded Bulgaria to a semi-democracy. So you have all these messages, critical reports by NGOs, of course, critical reports by institutions such as the Council of Europe, you have uh, critical reports by the Venice Commission, um, a critical, a very critical resolution by the European Parliament, which was right. adopted in October 2020, uh, which um, calls for action against the rule of law abuses and uh, abuses of human rights in Bulgaria. So um, I think if you if you adopt a macro perspective, it's uh, very clear what happened and who is responsible for 
uh, for what has been taking place. What happened to your family? Because you've been, you have been as, as I mean, you, know, you not only were their lawyer, but you took on the, you were almost taking on the entire establishment there because they went after your dad and, 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 and tell, you know, that's pretty brutal when a government, you know, you, you, it, it, they target your family. How did you manage to, for, first of all, tell us how that happened. And then well, uh, uh, sure, how do you do sure. it? How, how do you, how do you balance both? Cause that's, that's pretty remarkable how you've done that. It's, it's very difficult, I must admit. So I just need to give some background about my father. He used to be a very important person in Bulgaria. He was ranked as the most influential person in the country, according to Forbes. Uh, he was the major shareholder in, um, in the fourth largest bank in the country, and he was the chairman of its uh, supervisory board. And all of a sudden, in April 2014, he was blackmailed. So a very powerful member of parliament uh, went uh, to his office and asked him to transfer assets of the bank for free. And my father said no. And then uh, he was told that, um, well, he should fear for his life, basically. So um, in June that year, uh, Bulgarian state institutions engaged uh, in what appears from an outside perspective to be a classical case of corporate raiding, when right. state institutions are abused um, so that uh, politicians or um, circles affiliated with them can, uh, can forcefully acquire a business. And so uh, they organized a run on my father's bank, and it all started with um, borderline crazy, like, farcical charges. My father was presented as a murderer. Mm. So these were fake murder char charges. Uh, and so they raided uh, his offices as if they were looking for the proof of murder. And this is what triggered the major bank run. 20% of the bank's assets were withdrawn in the span of three, four days. And this is pressure that no bank can, uh, can sustain. And so um, meanwhile, another institution that was part of this scenario was the Bulgarian Central Bank. They refused to, uh, they refused to provide uh, liquidity help, which is standard practice in such uh, scenarios, and they um, they just took over the bank. Then, uh, then subsequently, they um, uh, they uh, took they took over the uh, took over the bank. They rejected the bailout proposal by the shareholders. They withdrew the bank's license, and after this, uh, well with the help of uh, the administrators appointed by the central bank, key assets of the bank uh, were, uh, well, were deviated and went to the hands of, well, two political circles, the circle of the prime minister and the circle of this uh, powerful member of parliament, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Delampevsky. Now, uh, I should also mention that uh, throughout this ordeal, they had to put the blame on somebody. So they rejected the murder charges. They said that they made a mistake and they came up with new charges, which were also farcical. Um, they um, uh, blamed him of embezzlement, but they said that on the same day, he withdrew 200 million cash and left the country, uh, which was absurd because of two main reasons. reasons. First of all, he was not even in Bulgaria on that day. And then their proof was a payment slip uh, which, on which his signature was falsified. And this was proven after a court-appointed forensic analysis. And so because this scenario and farcical, uh, these farcical charges failed, they invented new charges. And this is where we're at. And, you, and by the way, before we get to the current uh, state of affairs, you've been fighting this in the European Court for Human Rights, I think. And... You've also had some 
uh, efforts to try and have sanctions imposed under Magnitsky, the global Magnitsky law with sanctions, corrupt government officials and US, uh, here in the US for human rights abuses. So you've, and some other media, media some other legal maneuvers, correct? Uh, of course, of course, we've tried everything possible. Of course, I, I think that our case also demonstrates that justice in Bulgaria is not possible because we've exhausted all Bulgarian means. So uh, my father has brought two claims against Bulgaria before the European Court of Human Rights. Uh, he also submitted uh, an application uh, against the two people he considers most re responsible or uh, like the key, uh, the key figures in this scenario. Um, the previous general prosecutor uh, Mr. Sotir Tsatsadov and uh, Mr. Delampevsky, this uh, political, um, this politician who is extremely influential in Bulgaria. I should also mention that there is a second application under the Global Magnitsky Act submitted by, uh, by an NGO which represents nearly 7,000 depositors uh, in, my, in my dad's bank. They also nominated the same alleged perpetrators who they deemed responsible for the bank's failure. And you may be also interested to know that another, uh, another group of depositors have brought a claim on US territory under the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act. They brought a claim against Bulgaria's central bank, against, uh, against Mr. Pevsky, against um, Bulgarian public officials, and against a Russian bank, because they argue, this is their claim, that after the forceful closure of the bank, uh, with falsifications, money was stolen from their bank account and laundered through the United States. So uh, there, there are different so, types of uh, litigation. Amazing, but we're talking with Radosveta Vasileva from Bulgaria, international human rights lawyer. We are going to take a short break. We'll be right back and we're going to pick up Radosveta, if it's okay with you, with uh, what's happening today in Bulgaria. I think it would be a big interest to the, to the listeners. We'll be right back. Hello, fellow Liberty Warriors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way uh, to make a podcast. It's free uh, for starters. There's also an awesome creation tool. If you don't want to hire a producer right away, you can record and edit your podcast right from your phone, right from your computer, anywhere you are at any time. It's uh, distributed for you. So that's really important. Once you record this, you need to get it to the right platform. They will do that for you, including on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast. It's all in one place. It's very easy to use. So give Anchor a try. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor.fm to get started. talking with Radosveta Vasileva, international human rights lawyer, uh, business guru as well, uh, out in Bulgaria and talking a, a bit about recent events and also her family's uh, struggle against uh, corrupt government officials in her native Bulgaria. It's an important country where our folks in here in the U.S., this is an important ally uh, of the United States. Uh, we are not only security partners, but economic partners in a very strategic uh, and important part of Europe. So what happens in 
Bulgaria matters here. And, you know, so much so that just this week, the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, Senator Bob Menendez, and the ranking member, the Republican on the committee, uh, Senator Risch, issued a statement, and we'll share it with you um, on the podcast, talking a bit about what was happening in Bulgaria, which I wanted to talk to Rosveta about, because they've been on the streets, literally on the streets for months. And the chairman and ranking member, among other things, said that the U.S. and Bulgaria have a strong and growing relationship. But this is the important part. Media freedoms, politicization of the judiciary, and other threats to the rule of law are posing serious challenges to the U.S.-Bulgaria bilateral relationship. But, you know, what do you, you know, when you hear something like that, pose a serious challenge to the U.S., to the U.S.? Bulgarian relationship, but you know what comes to mind as a Bulgarian? Uh, as a Bulgarian, well, this is a, quite a big statement, a very powerful statement, because Bulgaria and the U.S. are NATO members. They're part of uh, a community of uh, shared values, but apparently the U.S. deems that Bulgaria is not complying with these values any longer. And um, this, uh, well, this criticism can certainly be corroborated with, with reports, with witness statements, uh, etc. So um, I think that um, the U.S. is just uh, keeping up its promise to, uh, to promote human rights around the globe, which in Bulgaria we appreciate. When I read last year the, the stories about the protests and protest button that continued today, I was struck with by how diverse, you know, you have people of all, all ages, you see the images, you know, young, old, on the streets, pushing for rule of law. It's quite remarkable to see that. Uh, why do you think it's, it's boiling over now? <laughs> well, we need to mention uh, the event which triggered the protest. The current uh, general prosecutor, Mr. Ivan Geshev, um, has a very... Um, <laughs> proactive approach. He, um, he, um, he's famous for human rights abuses, basically, and bogus criminals, criminal proceedings. So what happened uh, this summer, uh, this summer is that his office, under his guidance, raided Bulgaria's presidency and arrested two of the president's advisors. And this was just the last drop in a sea of scandals involving Mr. Geshev. Uh, that persuaded people to go on the streets and protest. Um, the demands of the protests were the resignation of the general prosecutor Ivan Geshev and Boyko Bolisov's government. Um, and so uh, people just lost their patience because, as I said, there have been plenty of scandals involving Mr. Geshev. And I should also mention that he's the prosecutor in my father's case. So uh, he, he has a long history of, of raiding businesses and particip participating in questionable activity. Tell us, tell us a little bit about him. Uh, we're, not, let's, we're not very familiar with him over here. What, what's, um, what's, what's his background? He has a very strange background from a Bulgarian, Bulgarian perspective. Uh, he went to a police academy and uh, even experts have questioned his law degree because back in the day when, when he allegedly graduated uh, with a law degree from a police academy, you could only practice in the police. You couldn't uh, be a lawyer elsewhere. But for some reason, he made it to the prosecutor's office. And his career took over when, when he started prosecuting my father from a regular prosecutor, uh, Mr. Tzatzel of the previous general prosecutor quickly promoted him uh, to the, well, to the uh, position of um, 
head of the specialized prosecutor's office, then to deputy general uh, prosecutor. And finally, he proposed him uh, he proposed him to serve as the next general prosecutor. So that's another thing we need to mention that when he was elected in 2019, he was elected by the Supreme Judicial Council. That's also a very controversial body. There were mass protests against against his election. So that's his background. He he stirs controversy. How does he manage to just stick to you know stay in power? Um, well, um, in Bulgaria, the prosecutor's office is part of the, uh, part, technically part of the justice system, but um, we need to specify here that uh, Bulgaria's prosecutor's office has a very specific structure that was introduced during communism. So uh, it has uh, the so-called Soviet model, an entirely vertical structure where all decisions depend on the general prosecutor. And a previous general prosecutor said, only God is above me. So technically he can do uh, whatever he wants without any scrutiny because there are no checks and balances. So he can violate the law, uh, he can commit crimes in office or out of office, and then there are no consequences. And um, there is a big case against Bulgaria, um, a big decision against Bulgaria by the European Court of Human Rights uh, that concerns uh, the alleged crimes of a previous general prosecutor. The decision is called Kolevi against Bulgaria. But in Kolevi, they, uh, they, uh, uh, they stated that in Bulgaria, there's uh, because of this vertical structure, there's no mechanism to, uh, to uh, hold a serving general prosecutor or even a, a former general prosecutor account because usually the previous one promotes his heir, so uh, so it's a very particular set, a very particular setup. This is this is a little off topic, but I'm curious: is this something that you think is a unresolved issue that, like dating back to the Cold War, stuff that hasn't been updated yet or yes this, yes yeah. yes absolutely bulgaria still hasn't had a substantive reform of its justice system so we <laughs> we inherited our justice system from communist times and the council of europe and the venice commission have been calling for reform of this office since colavi uh, was I was released, and this was 2009, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So they've been calling for uh, for reforms for quite some time. Uh, even the European Commission and uh, and the European Parliament have reminded Bulgaria that it's time to to reform this office. But uh, this is not happening for uh, for the obvious reason that uh, this setup is convenient. Uh, because another thing we need to mention is that even though this person is not accountable, they're very close to the government behind the curtain, so they uh, they comply with political orders. And there's plenty of direct and indirect evidence to this end, even by investigative journalists, etc. So there's so so if you were so if you were the uh, let's say your dictator rests for a day, okay? It's tongue in, <laughs> it's tongue in cheek, and you were to say, okay, I want to reform. We have to reform. We have to get the judiciary reformed. What would you do? Um, if I could change uh, something in Bulgaria for the better, frankly, I would certainly reform the, uh, this prosecutor's office. I would introduce uh, mechanisms uh, for holding uh, key uh, people at key positions accountable. But also, I would call for a major reform of this controversial body I previously mentioned, the Supreme Judicial Council, because this is the 
body that technically right. elects elects this person and uh, they they serve as the stamp of approval and i have to mention also that mr geshev was the only candidate and <laughs> he, it was <laughs> you know just like soviet times you have one candidate and he received full support apart from a few rebellious judges and um, that's another bit unusual i would say that you know in soviet times and in communist times in bulgaria um, the prosecutor's office was considered more important than the court the court yeah. was there just to approve what the prosecutor's office said and so uh, this mindset is still uh, still pre prevalent in bulgaria and i believe this is very dangerous how um uh, how it, the courts in your country organized when you know as far as different levels of courts is it have they been modernized since the Soviet times, or is it still the same structure? A little bit, but more or less the same structure. Uh, the difference is that right now we have two Supreme Courts. We have a Supreme Court of Cassation and a Supreme Administrative Court uh, that has a smaller jurisdiction because they're only competent for, for administrative matters. Um, unfortunately, Bulgaria created um, something that is anti-constitutional, uh, thanks to Mr. Borisov, a parallel system of courts that uh, could be considered an example of kangaroo courts that mimic the traditional Bulgarian courts. We have specialized criminal courts um, that examine cases by virtue of somebody's profession, et cetera, which is illegal and not admissible in a democracy. Why, why did the EU, I remember last year when this whole rule of law business came up and uh, they started to, uh, the European Union were taking votes on some resolutions within the EU on this issue that you're talking about. Why did it appear to us on the outside that there were splits within the EU about um, this issue? <laughs> they were very split, you're right. And here we should mention that Mr. Borisov's GER party is a very valued member of the European People's Party, which is the most powerful party at, uh, on an EU level. Uh, they traditionally dominate uh, dominate uh, the European Commission, and that's why the European Commission has been traditionally lenient and very diplomatic with Mr. Borisov. Mm. Uh, when uh, we had a debate at the European Parliament, and actually we have continuing debates, I'm pretty sure that they will come up with a second very critical resolution against Mr. Borisov's uh, shenanigans uh, in, in Bulgaria and against Mr. Geshev, because both of them are mentioned, uh, mentioned in, in the previous um, resolution. Um, when when we saw those debates, once again, we saw that the European People's Party was very friendly to Mr. Borisov. They even tried to sabotage the resolution by attempting to delete key passages oh and attempting God. to insert <laughs> and attempting to insert uh, rather controversial passages. Uh, this was a big scandal. But I have to admit, luckily, there were other parties that were um, absolutely uh, convinced that this in, in, that this uh, resolution had to uh, go through, and so the European Greens renew uh, and uh, the Alde Party, uh, the Socialists were very united, and so and so uh, the resolution in the end passed uh, passed easily. Just the EPP rebelled. You know, hung Hungary and Poland have subjected their process to a check. You know, through the EU and Bulgaria always seems to skate by. Uh, they never get the review done because of what you're talking about. So it's almost like there's if a, 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 almost a, a, a corruption that's seeping into the EU too. Uh, yes, um, I, I don't know whether we, we should call it corruption, but certainly some behind the curtain dealings and things that are not 
uh, that are not very clear. And the relationship doesn't seem very healthy uh, from an outsider's perspective because they uh, overtly support human rights abuses and they try to prevent a critical resolution based on facts to be adopted. I, I believe that this is unfair, even if they're part of the same political family, uh, they owe European citizens honesty and integrity. Do you think, do you think the EU is doing everything they can do in this regard? No, uh, the no. European Commission is um, is failing Bulgarian citizens miserably. This is quite unfortunate. And that's why over the summer, actually, when we had, uh, you know, we still had protests, but they were much larger over the summer because it was warmer. Mm. I think that it, it, it's a matter of uh, practicality. But there were protests even in front of the office of the European Commission because um, the protests were met with um, violence. There were uh, women um, that were beaten up, children that suffered. Um, uh, there were journalists who were beaten up. And so the European Commission did not even find the strength to condemn the violence at the protest. And I, I think that this is very, uh, very upsetting for many people. Luckily, the European Parliament included a passage about the, this disproportionate uh, uh, violence and illegal violence in the end, uh, in the resolution. Talking with Radosveta Vasileva about events in Bulgaria, rule of law. We're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we're gonna see what she thinks the US should help do and also why should Americans listening to this uh, focus on this country that's from us at least very far away, although I don't think it's that far away, but I'd be curious to get her views on that. We'll be right back. And we're talking to Radosveta Vasileva, colleague, uh, lawyer, human rights defender in Bulgaria. Radosveta, tell us a little bit about the relationship with the U.S. and why is it so important? Why should Americans, you know, why should we, why should they care about what happens all the way over there in in Bulgaria? Well, there are many reasons why American citizens should care. I think that it's important also to mention that Bulgaria and the U.S. have always had a good relationship that uh, dates back. Yeah, it's 100 uh, that, years that, old. That, yeah. Even much longer than yeah. that. I could give you some fun facts here. For instance, Bulgaria is, uh, uh, to the best of my knowledge, the first place that received humanitarian aid from the United States. And also um, I, for instance, graduated, my high school is the American College of Sophie. And this is yeah. one of the oldest American institutions, educational institutions outside of the United States. It was established in 1860. Yeah. So yeah, it's the, the only one, it's the only one, it's the only one in the region, by the way. In, yeah, in the, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so uh, we, we've always had a good relationship. Now, um, of course, this relationship is based on shared on shared values. And so as Martin Luther King said, injustice um, uh, somewhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And, and this is, uh, this is uh, something I believe is important to American citizens that their country has been traditionally committed to promoting justice and to defending human rights, to protecting people from, uh, from, uh, from abuses. Uh, in this case, something I didn't mention, I mean, I just talked about charges, but I didn't really mention about harassment of witnesses. Um, you know, uh, key witnesses in my father's trial were arrested and kept in custody for almost a year without any good reason than my father 
father's lawyer representing him at the trial uh, was also arrested and kept in custody for a very long time and pressured to drop my father's defense. So you have a lot of a lot of abuses uh, that are not compatible with democratic values, and this is certainly how you not win a case in court against someone by uh, by uh, force. Um, of course, um, I need to mention that. Um, the failure, the for the you know, the artificial bankruptcy of core bank affected U.S. citizens because there were U.S. citizens who were clients of the bank, and many of them actually contacted my father after this happened, and uh, and they've been very helpful in contacting um, well their local political representatives and informing them about these abuses in Bulgaria. So um, I guess this is also important. Um, earlier. I uh, said that there is uh, there is a case under under RICO, uh, which involves uh, crimes committed on U.S. territory. So basically, those who engaged in crimes in Bulgaria um, mm. uh, propelled their crimes to the U.S. and abused the U.S. banking system. So I think that this is a hugely important issue. Um, and of course, um, as I said earlier, uh, Bulgaria and the U.S. are NATO members and. NATO is all about shared values, and you're as strong as your weakest link. And Bulgaria mm. currently seems one of the weakest links uh, that can uh, that can betray these values easily. How um, you know, and it's a very deep relationship, and I, it's like we talked at the beginning of the program. It's one that will continue, and it will thrive, and it will grow, and hopefully, we can. I hope policymakers can be good partners in helping. If, if Bulgarians want to help, uh, that we help in this rule of law space, because without rule of law, without courts, without independent judiciary, uh, that's not a good recipe for democratic republics. And definitely, that's a space that we could cooperate in. I, I was curious about something you just said, uh, Rodosveta. You mentioned that lawyers were being targeted. Yes. And so it, it, tell us a little bit more about that, because that, that does interest a lot of people oh, here. Oh. It's something. It's something that is typical of um, Soviet times. Uh, when you when you harass someone, you start harassing their family. Then you start harassing everyone who can testify in their favor. Uh, then you harass their lawyer. This is this is typical uh, for Bulgaria, I guess. Uh, the case of my this uh, lawyer of my father's is one of the extreme cases. Um, I didn't mention this, um, but it's also quite striking that. Um, Another lawyer of my uh, of my father's uh, is now uh, dead, not without the help of the prosecutor's office, which sabotaged uh, his cancer treatment. So they have diverse means of of uh, just reaching the result they they want to obtain through um, through force and through means that are illegal and inadmissible in a democracy. Well, to all American lawyers listening to this, when you have a bad day, listen to what she just said. <laughs> Listen to what Rados Veta said, because this is sad. This, by the way, happens in many countries uh, where lawyers become the target. Uh, and the more aggressive and the more successful the lawyer happens to be, the more pressure they can happen to be under. It should not be happening in a place like Bulgaria, though, that's a NATO ally, EU member, and good partner of the United States. Um, and that's something that, frankly, sounds like something out of the Cold War, ghoulish behavior that. Uh, civilized, responsible nations simply do not do. So that's a lesson to folks that if you think you had a bad day over here, just 
listen to what Brother Zbeta just said. So what happens to someone, before we get into the last leg of the show, what, 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 what happens to someone, let's say, who doesn't have the money or the resources to defend themselves, like a business person, like a medium-sized business, a small business person? Because when you, these, these little items that you've identified about you know, problems with rule of law, also are when they manifest themselves as you know by the time it becomes a problem and people complain about it it's become a it's, it's in them it throughout society right all levels of society for well, sure what happens to the business person in 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 your country when they want to start a business is, is it a very complicated process and what happens to a business that's set up already uh, what happens they... to successful businesses is that they're usually targeted, blackmailed, racketeered, etc. Uh, of course, um, everything is a matter of scale. Uh, if you're a small business and you get targeted, then you give up because you don't have the courage or the strength to fight or the resources to fight. Mm. Um, my father is probably uh, the most prominent, uh, the first prominent businessman um, famous businessman who was targeted, but after him, other businessmen were targeted. So uh, corporate raiding became a policy of the Bulgarian state, if you wish. Um, mm. This is very dangerous and um, um, various things can happen, not, not just to lawyers, even uh, a small businessman could be kept in custody until forever. And uh, here uh, we should, uh, I guess, uh, tell our our listeners that uh, Bulgaria's uh, criminal procedure also hasn't been reformed uh, substantively since communist times. Wow. So uh, the prosecutor's office has excessive powers and they have a complete monopoly on the investigation that can last until forever and there's no judicial oversight. So uh, they can engage in arbitrary action as much as they want without facing any consequences. So uh, there are people who have spent years in custody and then, you know, they uh, never had a prison sentence. They they dropped charges much later. So um, uh, it reminds me, this reminds me of some some Cold War stuff. You know, the, the Soviets used to have this this position called uh, a procurator general or prosecutor general. In the yes, Soviet it's the exact same one. Uh, ours is called the same and it was introduced in Bulgaria based on the Soviet model oh, so it's the in same. 1947, yes, is the same oh. prosecutor, Mr. Vyshinsky, you have heard of. Yes, uh, it's yeah. the same model. It's the same model. And um, I mean, they're not as aggressive in their approach. Um, they haven't overtly killed anyone. But frankly, there have been many accidents in custody, many heart attacks in custody. Many people have committed suicide in custody. And those, of course, have never been investigated properly because the body responsible for investigation is the prosecutor's office. So, so it's almost like this is kind of surreal to be talking this way in the 21st century but it's almost like the same because that system comes out of the stalin stalinistic prosecuting type you know mindset yes. it's it's this very um quite brutal system frankly um and you still are dealing with it at, at across society basically it's a real problem and that's something that you're going to have to keep fighting against what can the u.s by the way so as, as we get toward the end of our discussion you know what can the U.S. do you think do besides raising attention the way that Senator Menendez and Senator Risch did this week? Uh, and what's your message to the American people that are listening to this who uh, want to do something? How, how can they help? Like, you know, for example, business people, if they want to go do business there, 
What do you recommend? <laughs> what do you recommend they do or not do? Or do you think they should stay away until they fix the? Oh, fix they should. They should certainly stay away before this gets fixed. And if you look at statistics, you would see that we don't have any FDI, and the drop started when Mr. Borisov came to power. So very quickly, uh, foreign investors uh, ran away from Bulgaria. So I guess when when you have rampant corruption, human rights abuses, when you can lose your investment at any moment, um, things don't look very bright. Uh, so this is for, for the business people. As for the government, I believe that what they have started doing is hugely important and sends a, a great message of hope to Bulgarian people. Um, the, uh, the message by the Foreign Relations Committee released earlier today was reported in the very few independent media at home and received very positive uh, coverage. So uh, I believe that this, is, uh, this, is, uh, this may signal as to what they could do next. Of course, one of the strongest weapons of the US is sanctions, and they have engaged in sanctions uh, against corrupt officials and, and, and officials who have abused their office in other countries. So this is something that could be considered. Let's start, let, let's briefly, before we, before, we, before we let you go, I know you're extremely busy, but if you could please share with us the, the issue of sanctions. There are people here in America who don't like to use sanctions. They say they're not people don't really fear them, they're not effective. I, I disagree with that. I think targeted sanctions, when they're backed by a good policy, can be very effective, especially when you're trying to take a position on something that's important, like what you're talking about, anti-corruption, for example. Um, do you think they're effective tools? And what does the, you know, are Bulgarian politicians and, and, and people of influence in Bulgaria, do they worry about being sanctioned by the Americans? Um, I don't think that they, uh, these important people who are committing these abuses are worried at this stage because they believe that the U.S. is very friendly and that it would never sanction officials from an EU member state and, and, and uh, a member of NATO. So, so they're very calm in this respect. But I do believe that sanctions could be effective because um, they, they serve as a name and shame list. Mm. So um, they influence the behavior of other countries. Uh, they influence the behavior of other of other people, because if you put an important uh, official who has abused his office on a sanctions list, then other uh, other people in other countries, particularly I'm, I'm thinking of the European Union, would not see him uh, with the same eyes. Um, recently, the US sanctioned the general prosecutor of Slovakia, if I'm not mistaken, right. and this this made a lot of noise. And I saw the reaction of um, experts in uh, in um, rule of law issues and and human rights uh, human rights abuses who who welcomed this decision. So it was a very powerful message of hope for these people doing this groundwork as well. Do you think the people of Bulgaria, or generally, I know you can't speak for all of them, but do you think it's well received? when America chimes in on these sort of issues and they talk about your country the way Menendez and Reich, Reich spoke about your country. So it, is it important for American policymakers to speak up about these things? Uh, for sure, because Bulgarians, well, I'm not authorized to speak on behalf of everyone, but this is my impression. Uh, Bulgarians need, need support from abroad because at home, uh, frankly, Bulgaria is not a democracy. It has a democratic facade, but it's it's a consolidated autocracy. So mm. uh, these people fear uh, people who are more outspoken, fear for their lives. The different people have experienced diverse forms of harassment. Um, 
judges who rebel have experienced diverse forms of harassment. Even the president of our Supreme Court overtly speaks of harassment against him and against his family. So the environment is not safe. And so um, the people who demand change and who, who want democracy back, because there was a moment of time when we thought we had some form of democracy, not, not a perfect democracy, but at least we were headed in the right direction. These people need to feel, need to feel support. They, they need to be backed up because by themselves, they cannot do much and, and probably you know, they will be targeted too sooner or later. Well, Rosretta, we're, we're running out of time, but I just wanted to take the last few minutes to thank you for the work you're doing out there in defense of rule of law. And there's people over here taking notice of it. I, I hope you will keep doing it. If you ever want to share your stories with folks here, we'd be uh, glad to have you. And, and I hope that you'll keep advocating in this space and that your fellow lawyers keep advocating in that space. And if you need allies, you can count on, on a lot of people over here to back you up. Uh, the good work that you all are doing. Thank you so much. This means so much to me. Um, and thank you for having me and for uh, giving me the opportunity to share this story. Uh, Radosveta Vasileva, human rights lawyer, international human rights lawyer in Bulgaria. We've had uh, a great talk. It's been a pleasure having you. And I hope uh, we're recording on Friday. So have a great weekend. Uh, this will come out on Tuesday next week, as always. So uh, be sure to listen. If you're, if you're listening today, be sure to visit her blog. Uh, there's a lot of information in there. It's in Bulgarian, but it's also in English. And there's plenty of context and ways you can help. You're also, are you still working on your global Magnitsky petition? Or are you done with that? Um, no, we're still working on it. Yeah, okay. it's still active as far as I know. And maybe other people may be making supplements because I think that more and more uh, Bulgarians are seeking, uh, seeking to defend their rights and, um, well, basically seeking justice away from Bulgaria because um, Bulgaria's system is compromised and um, it's impossible to achieve justice at home. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll raise it. We'll raise the issue over here for you. And uh, again, if you ever want to reach out, let us know. Thank you for uh, joining us today on the GLA podcast. Thank you.